And this is your friendly neighborhood podcast about living in Iraq. Where we both lived for combined 11 years. That's right. So we know all the things. Except for the things we bring in the guests for. So today we're talking about other religions. Yeah, we've already kind of talked about Islam at least Islamic holidays, and, you know, the big three religions that people associate with the Middle East are Islam, Christianity, and Judaism. But I think a lot of people don't realize that while the majority of people follow those religions, there are a ton of other religions Mm -hmm. in the region. Right, because you're talking about a region that has been around for, been populated for, you know, millennia. And has had a lot of traffic from India and the Far East and Africa and Europe kind of all converge there at some point. So there's a lot of influence, maybe, Mm -hmm. is the best way of putting it. Yeah. Um, And so you end up with these little pockets of what uh, most cultural anthropologists will call mystery religions. And why are they a mystery religion? Well, I'll get to that, but let's talk about the three we're going to talk about, because... There are hundreds of these. Okay. Um, And we're just going to talk about three of the kind of, we're going to call them lesser known religions. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about um, the Yazidis. Right. Because they've been in the news a lot in the last couple of years. And we both worked with, I worked with Mm -hmm. Yazidis. Yeah. We both worked with Yazidis in Iraq. Um, We're also going to talk about the Arsani. And then... Are they also the... They're the ones who are also known as the Kakai, right? Kakai, yeah, and they have a couple other... Names. Like, names, but they refer to themselves as your Sani. We'll get into it, okay, I promise. Okay, okay. met some of those, though. I know yes. some of those people. And then the big one that probably more people know about is Zor... I can't ever say this. <laughs> Zoroastrianism. Yes, you're going to have to introduce that every time. I'm like, okay, and now we're talking about the... The, the Zoros. Zoros. Zoroastrianism. Goodness gracious. (laughs) So, the first two, Yazidi and Yarsani. If you want to know more about any of this, there are a series of blog posts written about Yazidi and Yarsani on our website, servantgroup.org. The first two are mystery religions, uh, Yarsani and Yazidi. And um, mystery religions are kind of defined by the fact that if you are not part of that religion, you are not allowed to learn about it. So, like, if you as an outsider came in, you can't marry into that. You can't marry into the religion and Mm -hmm. convert that way. Basically, you have to be born as part of that community and then be taught and raised up in it. And depending on what family you're born into and what gender you are and all those things, it kind of influences how much you actually get to know. Mm -hmm. As a Westerner coming in from the outside, they're not gonna, like, let you watch a lot of their sacred practices, and they're not gonna have written scripture, Mm -hmm. generally. And that's why we're not including Zoroastrianism. We're not including them in mystery religions because they do have written scripture. Uh Um, So how do you know about these mystery religions if uh, they don't let Westerners know what's up? Some of that depends on religion to religion. Like Yarsani, we really don't know that much. Mm -hmm. Some times people are allowed to observe or like someone from that group will leave Mm -hmm. and they'll talk about it but we can't actually like research 
you know, these are the things that they believe um, because it's all oral tradition passed from person to person. Right. Um, So that makes them kind of really murky and dark. Um, In the case of the Yazidis, which we'll talk about first, there's been a recent movement to have Yazidi scriptures, stories, holy stories and songs start being written. Hmm. And this was even before ISIS came in and really started trying to wipe them off the face of the earth. Um, The younger generation was saying, hey, we need this written down in some way because we're now moving outside of this small area of Iraq and we want to be able to pass these traditions on to our children without having to continually come back to Iraq, which is hard to get in and out of, mm-hmm. and have to sit under the teachings of these people for hours and hours. Like, modern life doesn't allow for that. Let us start writing these things down. Interesting. Um, so actually, I have a copy of one of the Yazidi uh, scriptures that has been written. It's called the Black Book. Ooh. Um, so I have a copy of it. It's really interesting read through. Even the name sounds mysterious. Mm-hmm. And it is. It is a Black Book. Some of them are kind of coming out that way. A lot of initial research into this is based on rumor from the surrounding culture, which is not a great way to research something. And it leads to a lot of um, misconceptions. Mm, Like Um, what? Like, especially about the Yazidi, there's this concept that uh, they are devil worshippers. They worship Satan. Mm -hmm. And anyone that you ask in the Middle East, about Yazidis, are going to say, oh yeah, they're the people that worship Satan. Yeah, I remember running into that. Yeah, and it's a big reason why ISIS persecuted them, is because they're devil worshippers. They're those kind of things, or that um, Yazidi are really dirty, that they never wash themselves, which, again, isn't true. But if you're in a community that's really closed and isolated from the outside community and you don't let people in and you don't let people see what you're doing Mm -hmm. they're just gonna make up whatever they want right and there are like they do have these little bags that they carry around with them that have like little balls of dirt in them oh that are like it's almost um roman catholic pilgrims carrying around like pins from all the different shrines that they've done pilgrimage to the bag of little dirt balls is like dust from each of the the temples or shrines that they have been to on a pilgrimage as a city. So that's kind so of where that rumor like came from. Director too. Dave collecting rocks yeah. on his windowsill right. from all the places he's been. So let's talk about Yazidi a little bit. Give me what you remember as a general overview. Because I I forced you to read all of this. Right. Well, I remember, first of all, I remember visiting Mm -hmm. Lalish, which is their primary head capital center. Right. It's their most sacred site. Their most sacred. There we go. Um, And it's a a beautiful little village and it's got these really distinctive pointed towers mm-hmm. on its like buildings cone shaped yeah and there's a lot of trees and like it was a delightful place to be they had peacocks in pens everybody was walking around barefoot even though it was december we got to the main temple and we also had to take off our shoes Mm -hmm. and um, walk through and we got to see through all of the things inside the temple and they told us that this was we asked them how old it was and they said it's been there since the beginning of time that this was the garden of eden 
and that the building was built by God and Adam in that spot, which was fascinating, right. you know. Um, while we were there, people would walk around and kiss different spots. And at first I'm going, I have no idea. Why did they kiss that tree? Why did they kiss that spot on the ground? Why did they kiss that spot on the wall? Um, and then somebody pointed out, oh, they're kissing spots of light. And light played a big part through all yes. of the places in the temple that we went into. Lots of lamps, lots of oil, lots of jars of oil, lots of oil. The other things I remember, um, you weren't supposed to step on thresholds mm -hmm. because that's where angels sit. There was a black snake up the side of one of the doorways. Mm -hmm. And there's a story about that that maybe you can no, if I have enough time, I might get into that. <laughs> um, and there were uh, crushed eggs and, like, dried flowers mm -hmm. stuck to different doorways and places throughout the building. And the only other part that I really remember is, and this was something that was not unique to the Yazidis, because I've run into it with some Islamic shrines as well, where you could, you'd stand and you'd take a cloth and you throw it over your shoulder at this tomb. Mm -hmm. And if it landed on the tomb and stayed, you got your wish. Yeah, I think that's that could be an interesting point to start with the Yazidi, actually, is that Yazidi, some Yazidi shrines that they go to overlap with Islamic shrines. Huh. Um, and even, like, Islamic neighbors to Yazidi will go to Yazidi shrines. Really? Kind of for that idea of of getting the luck of that holy person. And I would say, you know, if you're really orthodox, orthodox Islam, you're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but the Yazidi will celebrate with Muslims, Muslim holidays to some extent. So that's kind of an interesting and different distinction from most other mystery religions is they don't really want to have anything to do with the major religions. But also, just to start with the peacocks, the peacock is like the symbol of Yazidi, which again leads to some people saying that they worship peacocks, and that's not it at all. They they believe in uh, a peacock angel, who is the angel who has dominion kind of over the earth, hmm. and also associated with the sun. Like the sun is also an angel that's almost equal to the peacock angel. And so that's that would be why they kiss, like, the sunlight touching the holy places. Right. And then, you know, there's also, like, an angel of darkness. There are several, seven major angels that cover a bunch of different things, and we're not going to get into all of them. But, but the peacock angel is kind of the big one. But are they gods? They're not gods okay. in the sense that Yazidi do believe in one god that created the earth but then kind of just left it and left the angels in charge of the earth. Gotcha. So kind of in the sense that like in Greek mythology, there's like Zeus and then there are minor gods under him. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the similar idea, except it's it's a little bit more of an all-powerful god than, mm -hmm. than Zeus would be considered. And the gods are all considered holy and they can't do anything wrong. Okay. So, or the angels. Or the angels, right. The angels can't do anything wrong. You talked about how God and Adam created Laelesh. Mm -hmm. Yazidis believe that they are only descended from Adam, not from Eve. Mm. Um, and there's a whole story about that and why they believe that. Again, that's in some of the blog posts that I've written. And so they consider themselves an actual separate race from the rest of humanity. 
Okay. Which is why you can't marry into Yazidism. Because you would be bringing the unholiness of Eve's descendants into the pure and holy race of Adam. So do they, they do see in a similar way to a lot of Christians, like the original sin of Adam and Eve together, like their children. Yes, they don't have quite as strong a concept of sin mm. as Christianity tends to. But they to would follow. only apply that to the rest of humanity, right? Not to their. Yazidis are un, unsinful. There's not really a sense of like strict right and wrong. You can't you can't marry into Yazidism. Um, all Yazidis though do get baptized at a certain age. Um, and so water baptism is kind of a purifying rite. This also happens in Lalesh. You can only get baptized in the water of this specific stream or spring in Lalesh. A lot of their celebrations are centered around Lalesh mm-hmm. because it is the spiritual center. And you have to take your shoes off when you go yeah. into Lalesh because your shoes are dirty. Mm-hmm. And so you're only allowed to go in as a clean person. Um, and when they have their really big celebrations, the people who live around Lalesh will actually go in and, like, sweep off all of the streets beforehand and get rid of all of the trash um, that, you know, has mm. blown in or maybe yeah. around to make sure that the city is very, very, very clean. Because no one really, like, live lives, like, in the temple area. Right. But during festival times, visitors, depending on their cast in the society get to stay like in the temple okay and there are different levels of where you get to stay yeah that was actually one of the things i remember noticing about Lalish, the whole village around mm-hmm. the temple as well was that it was cleaner than a, a lot of the rest of the Kur- of kurdistan mm-hmm. where people just kind of chuck trash everywhere yeah they didn't have that yeah especially there because it is considered a holy city mm-hmm. yeah so you get baptized into Yazidism. Um, And you kind of get, like, a godfather and a godmother who guide you along um, in the religion. And like most religions in the Middle East, if you are born a woman, you don't really get to know a whole lot. Mm. You kind of just have to follow the rules. They do have kind of a system for women to be able to become, like, seers or prophetess. Female prophets. (laughs) Um, It's kind of like being a nun. Like, you can't get married and you can't have a family. And they don't really encourage women to do that. But those women are allowed to learn a little bit more. And Yazidism is really an experiential religion. That it's not about scriptures and teaching and rules necessarily. Although they do have rules and they do have teaching. Um, a lot of it is more about how you experience your religion or religious feelings, your spiritualism to some extent. Mm-hmm. And again, that's divided based on a caste system. So if you're the lowest caste, you are not going to get to have experiential religion because you have to learn a certain amount and you have to be a certain amount of, of pure mm-hmm. to be able to have experiential religion that relates like that has any influence on the tribe as a whole so there's kind of that cast Mm -hmm. and they can only intermarry with each other and then there's a next cast that's kind of like political rulery type people Mm -hmm. and they can only intermarry with each other um and then there's the the upper 
caste, which are, like, the priest kind of families. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can intermarry with each other. And sometimes they can intermarry with the kind of political caste because they're almost level. Okay. A woman from the highest caste can marry down, but a man can't. Okay. So a man from this lower caste could marry up, but he wouldn't be considered a priest caste. Right. And his children wouldn't be considered a priest caste. If you got some extra girls in the upper caste. Right. They can marry. They can, they marry, can marry down. So it's... boggling <laughs> it, it is. It is. And then they have, like, kind of a, a Baba Sheik, which is the spiritual leader. And there's, like I said, there's a lot more. It's very complex and multi-layered. And that's, like, barely scratching the surface of it. Now, I feel like the bulk of what I know about the Yarsani are... Well, I once talked to a Yarsani woman and asked her what she knew about her religion. Mm-hmm. And she said, oh, only the men know about that. I don't know anything about it. I was like, do you know anything about, like, do you believe in God? And she's like, oh, yeah, we believe in God. I was like, what about that God? She's like, I don't know. The men deal with that. I was like, okay. <laughs> but she couldn't give me anything really besides that. And I also know that there's lots of videos of them playing music mm-hmm. <laughs> that I run across on the internet. That's yeah. all I know. Oh, and also the mustaches. Yes. Yeah, mustaches are really, really important. Uh, Again, maybe Sani. that's why the men are the only ones that can participate. It's because it's all about the mustache. <laughs> well, it kind of indicates um, maturity and the ability to have spiritual experiences. They're really quite elegant they are the most luxurious mustaches i think i have ever seen yeah they're very they comb them straight down and they're very like silky and smooth and like the the men carry a mustache comb around with them at all times keep it clean so that's that's pretty much true in your your sani the women have no role in the religion whatsoever it's men only which sets it apart in some ways Mm -hmm. well in a lot of ways from many other religions um another thing that kind of sets it apart is that uh yarsani are not loyal to their tribe that they're born into so they've kind of destroyed the idea of tribalism which is really really outside of middle eastern experience everything there is tribal you marry based on tribe, you pass everything on based on tribe. and So, so what, how did they get rid of that? So what they've done is they have these uh, kind of spiritual leaders called Saids. Uh, Said will have disciples come to him to want to be taught by him. And when they kind of pledge their allegiance to that Said, they leave whatever family group they were in and are pledged only to him. So they would bring, like, if you were married to a man that pledged to a new Said, you and your children would all go with him into that tribe. And then your children could not marry any of the children of the other disciples of that man because you're now considered a family unit. So you definitely end up with a lot of cross-mixing and not like generations and generations of people who've only lived in one spot. Right. I mean, it's starting to become that way. Mm-hmm. because there are fewer and fewer Saeeds because the population itself is dwindling, and so most of them are just following one or two different ones at mm-hmm. this point. But any man, regardless of where he was born or when, 
can become a Saeed if he dedicates the time to having the spiritual experiences and going to the the worship meetings that they have together and and just really investing in being Narasani. Does that mean though that like anyone like anywhere in the world could jump in there and No, it's another one that you can't marry into. You have to be born Narasani and if you are not born Yarsan then there's no hope for you. Okay. Sorry, you can't convert. Probably the big thing for the Arasani as far as um, religious practices is they have what's called a jam. And it's where... Um, <laughs> is this where the music comes in? Yes, this is where the music comes oh. in. A jam session, as it were. <laughs> um, so, but what it is, is all the men will get together in one place. And it's, again, it's only the men. And they'll sit in a circle to symbolize that they are all equal partakers. And then the Saeed of that group will pray, because he's the one that knows the prescribed prayers. So it's always the same prayers. So it's kind of like he's teaching them how to pray. They'll pray together, and then they'll kind of have a time of meditation, almost, where everyone... So once you get into the circle of the jam, you're not allowed to move. Move, like blink and breathe you can blink and breathe but you can't like shift position oh. or get up and leave the circle you had better be comfortable because you okay. could be sitting like that for several hours so while the prayer is happening sometimes there's music but the point of the jam is for everyone to kind of get into a state of ecstasy of just like transcendence of the real world because your sani believe that there are two worlds there are the physical world in which we live and then there is a higher plane spiritual world that only some people can get into if they have the right knowledge and circumstances to be able to ascend into that spiritual plane. So that's what all of the people in the jam are trying to do. Right. And it's in that spiritual plane that you learn about uh, what is real and what is not real hmm. and what is important what is not important. And they share a belief with the Yazidi, the idea of the transmigration of souls, that when you die, your soul doesn't go to heaven or hell. It just migrates to the next Yazidi, in the case of Yazidis, mm-hmm. or to the next Yarsani, in the case of Yarsani. Oh, so like the next kid that's born mm-hmm. gets Has to be the your soul. Of soul. Or you. Yeah. Or, you know, you're not your own soul. And for the Yarsani, once your soul has transmigrated a thousand and one times, you become unified with God. Which is not the idea of God as a being so much as, like, the universe. Kind of Nirvana-esque. Okay. I don't think they would put it that way, but that's the closest idea to this. Mm -hmm. Is that, like, you just become unified with God. Um, And some people, again, similar to Buddhism, can come back after they've been perfected, to teach other people how to be perfected. Okay. And so those are kind of the Saeed types. Right. So that's kind of the focus of the jam, okay. is to get that higher knowledge. Mm-hmm. And then the jam is broken by the, the Saeed, who prays a prayer of blessing for the sacrifices that have been made. Okay, so there have been sacrifices? Sacrifices that are made. There are three kinds of sacrifices. One is a bloodless sacrifice of uncooked food. Okay. So it could be like 
nuts or fruits or vegetables that haven't been cooked at all. And then the second sacrifice, and that those sacrifices are like you're asking for something, either wisdom or healing. Korban is the next one. Mm-hmm. And it's a sacrifice of thanks for things that you have been given. Um, so it can be a blood sacrifice or a food sacrifice of some other kind. Right. So blood sacrifice like a sheep or goat or cow or chicken. A male chicken. They all have to be male. Mm. No females. That's consistent at yeah. least. And then the last one is a sacrifice of rice. And it's kind of just like a sacrifice of almost a first fruits or abundance. Okay. Like um, but it's extra. Yeah, but it's like rice and and ghee or butter mixed together. Um, And for all of those sacrifices, there's also bread that goes along with them. Of course. In the Middle East, no meal is complete without bread. And the bread is the only thing that the women make. Oh, really? All of the rest of the sacrifice has to be done by the men. So they have to cook the rice, they have to cook the meat that's been sacrificed, they have to, like, cut up the vegetables and the fruit... And put everything out and serve it. Except for the bread. Except for the bread, which is what the women contribute, but they're still not allowed in the jam to serve it. It's all served by men. Huh. Those sacrifices are kind of all conglomerated together and then evenly distributed to all the men who are in the jam circle. Okay. And then whatever is left over is given to the women and children outside of the jam circle. So they don't necessarily get even portions. They just get whatever's left. Whatever's left. Okay. And so that's kind of the big gathering that happens. And it can happen once a year. When it could does happen the music happen? Every month. Oh, the music, yes. Sometimes, <laughs> this is the only part they show on YouTube, okay? <laughs> the music happens after the meal. So after the meal is over, a big pot of water gets passed around and all the men drink from the pot of water. Yay, germs. Yay, germs. But it's holy water. Okay. So, so no germs. So no germs. It's holy water that's passed around. And then after that, they sit and will sing songs together. Mm-hmm. But they all have to play in unison, in perfect unison, and sing the words in perfect unison. It's fascinating to watch. It is. And that is also a part where, n- more recently, women have been allowed to participate in the playing of the instruments. Right. Not, they're not allowed to sing. A couple women, like, in the second row of mm-hmm. some of those. Right. They have to sit outside of the circle. Mm-hmm. But they are allowed to play, but they're not allowed to sing. Okay. Um, so they're participating, but not really. Again, no written scripture. There may be a holy book, but if there is, you have to be, like, super holy to even get to see it. Mm-hmm. And so nobody has seen it in a century or more and so no one's really sure if it still exists yeah i might have been lost it may have been there's lost. a lot of war in or just surrounding areas hidden really really well i think we covered everything for that yeah so now we just need to touch on zoroastrianism oh man and zoroastrian <laughs> zoroastrianism yeah that one we could do a whole episode on that i mean so should we put it off uh No, we got time. I'm going to give you just kind of an overview. Because a lot of people think that Zoroastrianism is the basis for all the mystery religions. Oh. And there is some similarity, but it is also its own thing, too. Right. Um, Because it kind of gets lumped in in the same category as Hinduism. 
that it's monotheistic polytheism. Okay. So they do believe in one God, but he has come to earth in many forms that are also God. Gotcha. So you could worship any of those forms, and you're worshiping God. The one. The one, but also this specific aspect of it. Right. Okay. Um, so and it has three basic main tenets, which are good thoughts, good words, good deeds. And your role as a participant in the religion is to help fight the war against chaos and falsehood by bringing order and truth. It sounds almost like something out of like a superhero comic universe. Yes. Yeah, Zoroastrianism has influenced a lot of those kinds of things. Europeans kind of got a hold of it and turned it into, like, some weird stuff. Uh Um, But pure Zoroastrianism, yep, that one, doesn't believe in the duality of God. So they believe that God is Mazda. Mazda. Is 100% good. He created order and truth. And then... Falsehood and chaos kind of came about in the world. Europeans who've taken and kind of twisted this would say that God has duality of he is good and true, but there's also this other side of him that is false and chaotic. Hmm. But that's not real. That's not really what Zoroastrians follow. Okay. Um, And so for them, the two big, pure, holy things are fire and water. Right? Fire. Remember, fire is a big part all over Kurdistan, too, because of its roots with mm-hmm. Zoroastrianism. Right, because Zoroastrianism is rooted in Babylon and Persia, kind of Persia Iranian influence. Um, so if you see the big, like, it has a human head, but it has big, like, eagle feather arms and an eagle body, mm-hmm. all stressed out. Yeah. Stretched out. Carved people, all over the place. People associate that kind of with Assyrians, which isn't true. Assyrians have the bull with wings. It's or the lion. Or the lion with wings. That's, um, that's Persian and Zoroastrian. Yeah. So that's Mazda, the mm-hmm. representation of their god. Um, and... As mentioned at the top of the podcast, they do have written scripture called the Avesta. Right. And it is taught to anyone. And you can actually convert to Zoroastrianism. Yeah. In fact, that's something that I know is growing in the region right now as some people are becoming more frustrated with Islam Mm -hmm. because of ISIS or influences of ISIS that there are Kurds who are converting out of Islam into Zoroastrianism. Because they feel like that's their historical heritage, that's their, you know, true ancestral religion. And they've actually worked recently to get the ability to change their identity on their ID cards out of Islam into Zoroastrianism, which is a really big deal. It is a really big deal. In some ways, they're they're right that probably Zoroastrianism... That one... Uh, is probably historically the religion of that area. If you go wandering about in the hills of Dahuk, yeah, there's a come, temple up there's there. There's a temple up there, a fire temple. There's a lot of black soot on the ceiling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, why did you put a fire inside this cave? Well, it's a holy fire. Um, they also are considered by, again, by Europeans as being, or Europeans, Westerners, I want to pin it all on Europe. I mean, Americans see it this way, too. Okay. Probably Australians. (laughs) As 
the first ecological religion because they do believe that you have a duty to take care of nature. Oh. What those people leave out is that, according to Zoroastrians, (laughs) that includes killing off evil species. Oh. So it's preserving not quite everything. Right. Right. They're not there for ecological balance. Zoroastrians. There's, again, there's a ton more that could be said about them, but I feel like they're fairly well known. Yeah. Um, or easy to find stuff out about. There are whole books written about it. There are practicing Zoroastrians in India, Iraq, uh, certain parts of Europe, and even in the U.S. But if you have questions about anything we've talked about today or want us to help you point you in the right direction to different other resources, maybe ones that Hannah used in her research, we'll post both the blog post links in the notes as well as maybe some videos. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but some feel free to email um, us. Yeah. Let us know. Email us for sure. And if there are other um, mystery or minor religions that you've heard about in the Middle East that you're curious about, let me know. I love researching stuff like that, and so I'd be happy to, to look it up and and give you a little insight. I'm a little bit of a nerd, if you couldn't figure that out (laughs) by now. You can find us at Servant Group International on Facebook or Instagram, or on our website at servantgroup.org. Yeah, and if you have a question that we haven't answered yet, send us an email or Facebook message. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Sorry, not sorry.